gift, a joy, an honor, a privilege it is to gather with you for worship. Your face, your song, your presence is a primary way that I know that Christ is risen and that Christ is here. And we're grateful for you. Join with uh, the words of Pastor Cheryl earlier and praying for Josh and our youth as they go out this week and grateful for uh, the joy and, um, and the formation that happens these, these special times. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Fred Craddock, who is known as one of the great homileticians of the late 20th century, a member of the Disciples of Christ, the Christian church, and actually has some roots here in, in West Texas and in the high, in the high plains, was, was in seminary and, and told a story that uh, was influential to him and his sort of path in the, in the preaching world. He was uh, taking a class on, on preaching as one uh, does, and, and the uh, professor had invited a guest lecturer uh, for the class, invited a, an English teacher to come and, and to teach the uh, aspiring preachers on, on how, to, how to write better. And so the guest lecturer came into the class and uh, saw everyone seated, ready to take notes, as uh, the church does every Sunday when I rise to preach. And uh, the guest lecturer looked to the students and said, omit useless words. And the guest lecturer left the class, and the class was dismissed. And wouldn't everyone today like to have a three-word sermon? <laughs> Can a brother get an amen? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. And I've given my life to a lot of critical study of Scripture, our, our, our church, and largely the Western church post-enlightenment is often organized uh, around the critical engagement of Scripture. And, and this is a positive, uh, certainly. There's a lot to learn and a lot to experience under, under such uh, methodology. However, there is at times, I suspect, a sort of shadow side to that approach. There is at times a, a paralysis of analysis. It, it is good to express your faith in 30,000 words. It's good to express your faith. And probably today the sermon will be a little closer to 3,000 words, probably a, a bit less, particularly because of how open the sermon. I'm now obligated to preach a little bit shorter today. It's good to be able to express your faith in 300 words. It's good to be able to express your faith in 30 words. But there are these moments even in our scripture where it seems as though there is a deep purpose in expressing the entirety of faith in just three words. Christ is risen. Come Holy Spirit. Here are some of the collections of three words that have been important to me. This sort of a mystical tradition encourages people in prayer to develop a short phrase, maybe even one to three words. That these words can be a prayer mantra of sorts, guiding one into the presence of the Spirit, guiding one in, into prayer. And, and, and I, I would just encourage you, uh, take one of those prayer cards as they're available in front of you. Now pull out a note on your phone and spend some time thinking, if you were to boil it down to just three words, what three words would it be?
in the heights of euphoria and victory, maybe those words bring you joy. And the depths of difficulty, maybe it is just three words that get you to put one more foot in front of the other. What three words would it be for you? For those of you counting, this is 12 words, so I didn't even follow my own instructions. So I, I understand I've uh, not obeyed the uh, outlines of the assignment. You know, last week we experienced uh, this incredible telling of the Genesis 1 creation story, and we're so grateful for uh, so many who made that uh, possible. It was just so beautiful. We experienced the, the first creation story in our scriptures, Genesis 1, and there is a second creation story in Genesis. It comes in the second chapter. It's often overlooked because it's nice to be second, isn't it? And one of the primary differences between this, this uh, Genesis 1 story and this Genesis 2 story, and there are many, but one of the more striking differences between these two stories is that Genesis 1 tells the story of a God who creates with word. God speaks, it is so, and it is good. God creates worlds. God creates reality. God creates new mercies every morning. It seems, according to our scripture, at times, at least in our first tradition, at times, just through the use of word. We're thankful for Beth sharing her voice with us. Psalm 33, as we have received uh, this morning, is within this same tradition. Verse 4, for the word of God is right and true. Verse 6, the word of the Lord uh, made all of the heavens. Uh, Verse uh, 6, sorry, verse 8, let all of the earth fear the Lord and the people revere for God has spoken and it has come to be and shall stand firm forever. Verse 11, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of God's heart throughout all generations for the counsel of God will never fade. And God creates, at least in our first story, through spoken word. And, and John 1 sort of picks up in, in, in this tradition in, in, a, in a most a fantastic way, naming the Christ, Jesus, the fullness of God's presence, naming the Christ as the Word. And we believe, as we have received in this gospel story, that Christ fulfilling this verbal tradition speaks. And people are healed. It speaks and, 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 and new understanding, and new worlds, and new realities are created just by the words of the Christ. And, and I believe, by extension, that very same Christ although not quite in its fullness, but that very same Christ is first and deepest within you and within me and within all. And so Christ is the word. Maybe you might put a capital W there. And you, my friends, by extensions, you are the word, lowercase. I'm not all that into caps, just generally speaking. You are the words of God. And what word, what world, as God has created this world out of word, what worlds are you creating with your words? 
Asaru Emoto is a, a Japanese um, a thinker, a scientist, has done a lot of work on the molecular, molecular structure of water and how it behaves. He tells a story in, in one of his books, and it is, it is I, I think, a, a story of, of a classroom and that cooked uh, uh, two jars of rice, uh, placed a lid on, on each jar, and on each jar placed a different phrase. On, on, on one jar, the phrase uh, was, was put the words, uh, thank you. And on another uh, uh, jar, the, the phrase, you fool, was, was placed on these jars. And the students were invited, as, as they came into class every morning, to say thank you to the jar of rice that said thank you, and to say you fool to the jar of rice that said you fool. And then on the way out... At the end of the day, the students would do the same thing. They would say thank you to the jar of rice that said thank you and you fool uh, to the other. And uh, Emoto tells the story that within one month, within just one month, the jar that said thank you was still white and fluffy and yet somehow the jar that said you fool had already begun to brown. Emily Dickinson says, there is nothing in this world as powerful as words. The University of California, Santa Barbara, has put out some wonderful information recently. They're using a term known as the illusion of truth effect. I found this one study captivating. They have suggested in their research that what is repeated is most powerful. So you might use strong language in relation to yourself or something else, someone else. You might use strong language on occasion, but what is repeated is most powerful. So you might tell yourself once a year, I'm the best ever, I'm the best me I can be. But if each and every day your self-talk is, is less than that, what is repeated is most powerful. So what reverbs and what refrains within your soul? What do you let in deep within you and let it repeat? In this Genesis 1 story, God creates and God says it is good. I hope that maybe you, you would let that repeat within you. And listen, I, I, I am... Um, I'm a learner on this. I am certainly no expert. I'm constantly trying to, to, to learn and to practice some of what I preach. Yeah. When you begin a sermon with a, with a story about omit useless words, you're contractually obligated to be brief. And so I will try to do that. And just close asking just a couple questions. What are the words, what are the words that are within you that you allow to be repeated? I believe the Lord whispers incredible words about you. What are, what are the words that you and I, what are the words that, that we use about other people? I believe God calls us to build one another up, to encourage one another, to name new realities taking place in one another that could not possibly take place in any other way. Yeah.
And what words do we as a community allow to be amplified? What words do we as a society allow to be amplified? I believe that God desires the flourishing of love and life for all people. And if there are words that do not support the flourishing of life and love for all people, then I don't believe that it is of God. But you seem to me, unlike any other, you seem to be a word from the Lord. Good and gracious God, hear these our prayers. Amen.